You've got mail. 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 Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Everything Email Podcast. I am Keisha Stephen Gittens, Content Marketing Manager at Live Intent, and I'm here with Senior Vice President Corel Cooper, my co host. So it's another month, we're in November, and we're here with Jess Ostroff. She is the CEO and Director of Calm at Don't Panic Management, a personalized virtual assistant agency. And today, we're talking about rethinking your 2018 content marketing process. So, you know, it's November, you're thinking about what you're going to do for January for the first quarter of 2018. So Jess is a perfect person to chat with us today. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Great to have you. So I know I just read part of your bio, but can you tell me in your own words, you know, your history, how did you get here? Um, Just tell me about some of the things that you're working on. Sure. So I have a degree in marketing from NYU here in New York, and I knew I didn't want to go into the traditional accounting and finance roles that a lot of my friends were doing. So I tried to figure out something else to do. (laughs) And I always had an entrepreneurial spirit. I had started working as a virtual assistant about a year after I graduated college just because I had a former internship boss who needed help. And it turned out that I was really good at it because I was organized and detail-oriented and very much about process, and I knew how the internet worked. (laughs) And so that was an asset at that time. And I didn't really know the opportunities that existed for virtual assistants. I thought it was only, you know, administrative assistant type stuff. But because I had a background in marketing, I was able to use that background to help write people's blog posts, schedule emails, set up templates, manage websites, you know, all the kinds of things that people need in digital marketing. And it's just grown over the years. I officially started the company in 2011. We have doubled in size year over year without even having to do a lot of marketing on our side, which is great. (laughs) Just because the workforce is going virtual, people need help. And people don't necessarily need to hire a full-time person for every role that they want. The virtual assistant option is a great one. You know, you can start at five hours a week just having someone do your weekly newsletter or write four blog posts a month for you. Mm -hmm. And then you can always have them scale with you as your business grows. So I'm really focused on helping, you know, small to mid-sized businesses just get their work done more efficiently and not panic. (laughs) Right, right. And I'm sure a lot of your advice would help larger businesses as Mm -hmm. well, Mm -hmm. because everyone is thinking about their content marketing strategy, their process, whether it's for full integrated marketing campaign or specifically for email. Yep. You also manage or host a podcast, right? I do. I host a podcast. It's called The Managing Editor Show. I am the managing editor for a company called Convince and Convert. It's one of the biggest digital marketing advisory firms in the world. And I am in charge of all the media for that. So it's the email, the podcasts, the blog, and everything in between. On The Managing Editor Show, I talk a lot about strategies for working with editors and working with writers. A lot of people don't know how to pitch their content and having strategic editorial partnerships is really important for growing your business. So I want to help people figure out how to navigate those waters and learn what not to do when you're working with writers and editors. And so it's been really fun to talk to different kinds of content marketers, but also editors, writers, freelancers, you know, all kinds of people that do editorial content. 
So I recently read that nearly every company is creating more content this year than last. Why do you think this is happening? Since everybody is online, you know, whether it's through their phone or their tablet or their desktop and they're constantly consuming content, I mean, the need to create more content is in direct proportion to the amount of consumption that audiences are consuming content. And I think that's the most basic reason. But also, content, when done well, works. It's a way to build your authority and build trust with your audience without advertising and feeling like you're selling. And a lot of people don't like to sell. So creating content that's actually useful, creating content that people want to read and share and talk about with their friends really works. And so I think people are starting to finally recognize the value of that. And even though in the beginning of the content marketing time, before it was even called content marketing, right, people didn't want to spend budget or resources on it because they weren't seeing an immediate return. But now they know that when they have a blog that they publish to consistently or a podcast that they release new episodes monthly or weekly or whatever, and they see their audience growing, when they ask, how did you hear about us? And it says, oh, I heard about you from a blog post. And then they make a sale from that. It's a longer tail process, but it does work. And oftentimes it works better than any kind of ad that you could put out there. Mm -hmm. And talking about marketing, do you see a lot of email marketing teams specifically focusing on content or having someone dedicated to content? Or do they think of it as copywriting? I think that they should be one and the same. I mean, if you have someone copywriting, they should be well-versed in the goals of your content marketing team. You can always hire a copywriter and you can always get them to just write something, which is fine, but I don't think that those types of pieces of content are as successful as the ones where you can still hire someone who's a freelancer, but make sure they understand what your goals are and your objectives are for your audience. They should be (laughs) the same. Maybe people don't think of them that way, but in order to be successful. I think that everything has to be integrated. The person who's writing has to know your objectives. They need to be able to write to the audience in a way that's going to create that trust or that Mm -hmm. awareness or whatever your number one goal is for the email campaign. Yeah, I kind of want to get Corel's take on this as well, because I know you know a lot about the publishers and the publisher side of things. Do you think that they focus a lot on, especially when it comes to like their email marketing or email newsletters specifically? Do they think of it in terms of having people specifically on content or do they think about content strategy or do they just think about the copy? How does that work in the publishing world? Yeah, I think they focus more on copy and I've been at Live Intent now for for three years, right? And one of the things that we've had to focus on from a Live Intent perspective is making sure that publishers don't forget about the email channel because with everything going on in their website and building out a mobile strategy and mobile apps and focusing on social media and video, email has seemed to have been that sort of forgotten channel. But when done correctly, it still can be the most effective channel. Yeah, Yeah, I totally agree. And I think part of the reason it's kind of seen as separate is because when you publish something on your blog or Mm -hmm. on your podcast, you don't know who it's reaching necessarily. But your email, it's your list, which actually makes it the most valuable thing because theoretically they've opted in Mm -hmm. to receive your Mm -hmm. messaging. And I agree with you, it's the most forgotten, but yet 
usually the it, most it's, useful. It's it's the val it's the most valuable though, right? Because it's a place where you know who those users are. Mm-hmm. It's a logged in environment. Mm-hmm. It's your most engaged users because they've asked you to send you content. Right. They've gone to your website. They've given you their email address. They have opted in when you said please confirm. Mm-hmm. And then when they do get the content, they're spending time opening it and engaging it. Right. So it has been a challenge, but I think we've been at Live Intent have been able to kind of help sort of turn some of the thinking around yeah. Uh, email. And yeah, and kind of focus on email as the new homepage. Right. So what are some common misconceptions about content creation? Oh, so many. Well, I think that sometimes, to your point, even just about the way people think about email, the way people think about content is very siloed. It's like, okay, the strategy people are over here, the graphic designers over here, the writers over here. It should really be a holistic approach to each piece of content. I always recommend people create what I call content briefs or editorial briefs or creative briefs. You can call them whatever you want. But it's a place where you can make your goals clear figure out what things you're going to measure and how you're going to measure them and get everybody on board with that. Everybody who touches the content, the social media person, you know, it includes promotions too. And making sure everybody's on the same page with what the goals are for each piece of content so that you can actually achieve those goals (laughs) and be able to measure them. So I think a big misconception about content is that it's easy. Mm -hmm. It's not. And there's a reason why people are creating more content than ever, but their success rates are not in proportion with the amount of content they're creating. And I think it's because they're not spending enough time considering what their audience wants and considering what outcomes they want from their audience. They're just thinking about, okay, what do I feel like writing about today? Yeah. Yeah. Or what do I feel like putting out in the world today? And that's not the right way to go about it. It's the best pieces of content are the ones that your audience actually wants. Now that's hard too. (laughs) It's hard to find out what your audience actually wants. And I think there are ways to do that through surveys or focus groups. You know, there are traditional marketing tactics that you can use to learn more about your audience and learn more about what's going to make them trust you and want to buy from you. But it takes a lot more time and intention to be good at it than I think people realize. The other thing is that the internet has made it so easy for anybody to be a publisher, right? You can start a website for free. You can start a podcast essentially for free with just a few pieces of equipment and some knowledge about the internet and how it works. But that doesn't mean that you're creating something of value or creating something that anybody wants. And if you're just doing it for fun, that's totally fine. You know, you can have fun doing it. But if you're a marketer and you're trying to sell something or you're a business person, you have to take a step back and be more strategic about it. And what about the mistakes that marketers make? Uh, well, it's, <laughs> I think it's all related. You know, having unrealistic timelines, trying to create too much with too little resources, thinking that it's just sort of like a throw it up on the wall and see what sticks kind of situation. It's just a waste. And I, I think that we're creating more content, but we're not creating better content. And if you're somebody who just wants to create content for the sake of content, you should stop and take a step back and consider making one piece of content that's better than 10 pieces of content that are mediocre. Because now that so many people are creating content all the time, it's the really excellent content that's going to stand out. And everything else really isn't going to go anywhere. So it's almost not worth creating something unless you think it's going to be one of the best things you've ever created. 
from a B to C versus a B to B perspective, do the marketers face the same challenges or are there different approaches you should be taking depending whether you're consumer focused or business focused? Yeah, I, I think some of the things, you know, in terms of your process of creating the content is similar, but the objectives are usually different. And a lot of times with B2B, you're trying to create a relationship with another business that mm-hmm. And a person in that business, <laughs> let's be clear, right. We're, you know, people sell yep. to people and yep. market to people, not businesses. Right. And a lot of times with B2B, I've seen that the barriers to purchasing are bigger mm-hmm. and the challenges of getting a sale are different. Mm-hmm. Whereas with B2C... Oftentimes, it's like a handbag or a shoe or, you know, anything smaller, lower risk to purchase. And it's also oftentimes not as big of a deal for the customer Mm -hmm. to purchase something like that than it is for like an enterprise to buy a piece of software and and potentially use it forever. You have to be a lot more invested in creating that relationship. And so that takes a different kind of strategy. Luckily, there are tons of resources out there now specifically for B2B Mm -hmm. and specifically for B2C. And I think that if you are working in either one of those environments, you should focus on the marketing materials that are out there and resources for your type of sector because it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. Why is it important to think about marketing operations and process and any special ways to approach content on email? As you were saying before, and there's a latest Content Marketing Institute study of benchmarks for businesses, for B2B specifically, but I think this goes for B2C as well, is that 70% of businesses want to create more content next year, but only like 40% want to add resources Mm -hmm. to create that content. How are we supposed to get that done? You know, how are we supposed to get more content done if we have the same amount of people and the same amount of tools and the same amount of budget? I think it all comes down to your process. And if you can figure out the inefficiencies in what you're doing, and if you can actually set those goals and those plans, you know, those creative briefs, put them in place, it's still a little unrealistic to expect people to create that much more. But I think that if you can, you know, really sit down and figure out what the gaps are, what the bottlenecks are in your process, then you might be able to cut off an hour here or a few minutes there because it really adds up. And if you're a team that's creating content all the time, whether it's through, whether it's ebooks or emails, you need to be efficient with that. Now, I don't want people to think that efficiency means carelessness. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's like, okay, well, I'm just being just efficient. Do it quick. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, just go through just and do, do it quick. quick just right. to do it, to check right. the box. Yeah. That's not what it means. No, no, that's not what it means. But it means having templates for tasks of each thing that needs to get done, having Mm -hmm. checklists of things that you always need to to look for every time you create an email. And again, I think everyone needs to be on board with that. So whoever's in charge of your email marketing strategy, let's say, also needs to be aware of how that's tying in with all of your other pieces of content and all the other strategies that you're doing in your marketing team. And the people who are working on, on all of that need to also be aware of how they're connected because like we were saying before, I think email is the most effective way to disseminate information. But 
are you sure that when someone clicks on that link that it goes to the right landing page, that people right. aren't going to have a problem downloading something right, or right. that you're capturing people's information accurately? You know, all the pieces need to work together. And the only way you're going to make sure that happens is if you're planning properly and your process is really, really tight. Right, right. So Q4 is just beginning. Before we know it, it'll be Thanksgiving and Christmas and Happy New Year's and 2018 <laughs> will yeah. be here uh, before we know it, what should, with the year coming to a close and looking forward to next year, what, what should marketers be thinking about? I don't think that marketers take enough time to think <laughs> in general. Just like we said, we're so busy. We're doing more and more and more and more, and there right. are more and more tools and more and more applications that we need to be using all the time. Distractions. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that the end of the year is a great time to reflect. I like to do life audits <laughs> for myself, but I think that if you don't feel like auditing your entire life, that's okay. You can audit your work. Look at all of the things that you're doing. Um, you can take a week and write down literally every hour what exactly are the tasks that you're doing, and then you can start to see, okay, why am I doing these things? And what are things that I can get rid of because they're not necessary? What are things that I can automate you know, that's going to make you more efficient. Maybe there's a tool that you, you forgot you were, you even had and you can use it to automate something. And then maybe things that you can delegate. You know, maybe you have a new member on your team or maybe you're going to hire an assistant next year and you need to start a list of things that you can get off your plate because all of those things allow you to focus on the big ideas mm -hmm. and the strategy and making your life and work more efficient. I also think you should audit your toolbox. Mm. So a lot of times we inherit tools, you know, from the last person on our team or from our, our manager or whoever, but the end of the year is a great time to look at that set of tools and say, okay, do I still need this tool? Is there another tool out there? These days, I find tools that are really, really good at one thing, and that's awesome, but I also find tools now that where I can adopt that one tool and it replaces five other tools mm -hmm. and kind of trimming the fat at the end of the year is is a really great way to get you set up for success next year. Also planning, you know, plan as much as you can for Q1 at least. You know, some people are able to plan further than yeah, that. Yeah. I think it's hard to do with the fast I pace. I envy them. <laughs> no, <laughs> I know. It's so... And things change so often. Exactly. You know, so, you know, your goals and your priorities change. So. Right. right. That's why I think that's hard. But if you can even start planning out Q1, you know, yeah. what are the pieces of content? What are the emails that you're going to send that quarter? What is your process going to be for making sure they get done on time? What eBooks are you going to, you know, whatever your content is or your marketing strategy is, it's a good time to plan and get everyone on the same page in November and December so that right. you don't get to January. And it's like, oh my God, it's Q1. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> you want to be, that's another way you can set yourself up for success and make sure that you're, you're hitting your goals and hitting your deadlines every time. Um, you talked about auditing right. your subscriber list yeah. or your audience, thinking about that. Yes, especially for email. You know, look, I mean, I think you should be doing this ongoing what, every 30 days, every 60 days, every 90 days. But end of the year, too, is a great time to say, hey, send an email to the list of people that haven't opened anything for 90 days and mm -hmm. say, hey, it's the holidays. We love you. But, you know, if you don't love us anymore, <laughs> bye. <laughs> you know, <laughs> get those people out of there. Because that's another thing, too. And I don't really understand this. Some people think that more is better. 
you know, like, okay, I have an email list of 60,000 people. Okay, well, what are your rates? Like, what are your open rates and what are your click rates? And what would happen if you removed the 20,000 people that aren't engaging with your emails at all? All of a sudden, your rates go up and that's better. You want a more engaged audience. You don't want more audience Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. for the sake of more. I I also think, too, uh, understanding, like, why hasn't a user opened your emails in... 30 days or 60 days, right? Like, why are they not engaged anymore? Because again, going back to my point earlier, they gave you permission and told you to send them content. And now they're not engaged. Mm -hmm. I think that that's important to understand and could impact your content strategy moving forward as well. Absolutely. And ask that question. You know, if you can somehow get them to open that email, (laughs) (laughs) ask them, you know, why haven't you been opening? And maybe even give them multiple choice or, you know, include an option for them to write their own answer. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that information Mm -hmm. is just so valuable. And you may have pivoted in a way that was actually turning your audience off. Right, Right. And you maybe didn't want that. Or maybe you're saying, you know what, we are pivoting. And if you no longer want to receive information from us, no problem. Right. You know, you can't be everything to everyone and finding your audience and finding your engaged audience is really important for success and growth. This is why CRM is so awesome, kind of tying it all back to lifetime value and assessing that as well and maybe attribution and understanding just a holistic point of view. Are they opening the emails? Have they purchased? When was the last time they purchased? Mm -hmm. Because you're a relationship with the consumers, like a relationship with a relative, a loved one, you know, you go through different stages in your journey. The consumer goes through different stages or life stages as well. So they may have liked your product as a millennial, but now they're exiting the millennial stage and they're thinking about home and finance and mortgages and no more shoes, aka that's me. (laughs) (laughs) I need to stop buying shoes. Maybe I need to save and think about my 401k. So like understanding, you know, the, the consumer as a whole, and then thinking of different types of content Mm -hmm. to bring them back in. Maybe it's monetizing email newsletters, thinking about, okay, we've got a blog post here. We can tie that back in, maybe some native ads to do all of that. So really thinking about a holistic approach in engaging readers, subscribers, consumers. Yeah, and I think that's a great point to tie it back into what we were talking about before of understanding your audience. It always comes back to understanding your audience and People don't spend enough time doing that. So whatever you can do, whether it's now or next quarter, you know, whenever you can do it and keep doing it. Because like you said, people change. Mm -hmm. People get older and their preferences change and that's okay. Mm -hmm. But as long as you're understanding that and either saying, okay, you're no longer our target anymore, but, you know, maybe this person is or maybe changing your messaging to that person as they change earlier you mentioned the need to sort of audit what's in your toolbox, right? So what are some of the favorite things in your toolbox? Well, I live and die by my calendar. You may have guessed that. Um, if it's not on the calendar, it doesn't happen. I mean, even including things like I like to use calendar block for bigger things like brainstorming. Yeah. It doesn't have to just be meetings that go on your calendar. Writing time for me, I, you know, I kind of need uninterrupted time. For me, you know, I have a lot of people that access my calendars. At first, it was a necessity. Like, I had to put everything on my calendar just so people wouldn't schedule over it. But now, it's just been such a great tool for me to be productive mm-hmm. and be efficient with my time. I think for marketing projects, so I use Google Calendar just mm-hmm. for that. But for marketing projects, my favorite tool is CoSchedule. It's really great for people who have small to medium-sized teams, larger teams or other similar platforms that people can use. But I love it because you can basically say, okay, 
we have an ebook coming out February 1st, and you can basically task out all the associated things with it, whether it's an email, a podcast episode, social media promotions, paid ad promotions. And I love this part that you can assign colors to all of them. Uh, so you can actually see, you know, in a color coded way what's going on. And then you can assign each task to a certain person on your team. So for me, like anytime there's an announcement, I manage all the blog posts, all the podcasts, and all the email promotion that goes with that launch. But then I also have like my social media manager who I can assign things to. Mm -hmm. And we have our, our paid advertising manager who we can assign things to. So we can all see what's going on. It's all cohesive and integrated, even though not just one person is working on it. And that visibility is really important and having those deadlines and those yeah, timelines yeah. clearly stated out. And then we can also put all the assets that we need. If I have to write an email, for example, an email newsletter, I have bullet points in my task that tell me, okay, what do I have to hit mm -hmm, in this mm -hmm. copy? And then what's the CTA? What's the tracking link for the email versus what's the tracking link for our paid Instagram ads? Mm -hmm. Keep it all in one place. So... That's my big fangirl tool recommendation. <laughs> well, I think you've offered us really great tips and tools that anyone can go back and implement right away, especially as they think about 2018. So thank you so much, Jess, for coming today and sharing your words of wisdom with us. I almost forgot, you're writing a book. So yes. tell us a little oh, yeah. bit about, just a quick snippet, because I know that you do so many things. You're a Jackie of all trades, but <laughs> let's, let's hear about your book before we close off. Yeah. So, you know, I kind of, I do a lot of marketing stuff, but I also do a lot of this virtual assistant thing. I think they tie together, you know, yeah, they're not right. exactly the same, but I think knowing strategies for one helps you get your work done. And it doesn't matter if you're a marketer or a, a CEO, CEO. <laughs> right, or whoever, right. So I wanted to write something that would help people not just find a VA, but actually find a relationship that you can build over time. Because like I found out myself, you know, VAs aren't just Siri and Alexa and, you know, task rabbits, right, you know, right. they're actual people that have a lot of skills and a lot of experience. And if you can figure out how to work with one efficiently, your life can change. And I've seen it firsthand with my clients. And so I wanted to help teach more people how to find, hire, and train a VA. Also how to figure out what things, you know, like that life audit, figure out how to decide what you should get rid of, what you should automate, and what you should delegate. And so that's what the book is about. It comes out in January. We're literally finalizing the title now, so okay. I don't awesome. want to yeah. say <laughs> it. Yet. Don't jinx it. Um, but it will be out in January, Great. whether it has a title or not. <laughs> Going to do an audio version of the book? I want to. I mean, I think a lot of people consume. You know, yes, right? I, like yeah. a lot of people consume. I asked for personal reasons. Okay, <laughs> I will do an audio version. Just for you. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jess. Thank you for having me, and thank you for listening. <laughs>